0: Welcome to CISO's Insider's Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on
1: social media. And welcome everybody. Today I'll be speaking with Harshil Parikh. I'm hoping I uh, pronounced this correctly. Uh, and Harshil is uh, currently is the CEO and co-founder of an exciting startup company called Tromso. But before that, um, I see you have extensive um, background in information security and cybersecurity, you know, going back uh, almost uh, almost a decade and a half or a bit more than that. You know, I see that you've worked with uh, large telco organizations. I saw you that you held a few positions with uh, large uh, auditing firms as well. You know, at some point moving on to... Uh, advisory, a bunch of advisory roles, uh, management roles as well, you know, senior director of security. At some point you landed your, uh, your, you know, you landed as a chief intervention security officer. But if you could step in properly, introduce yourself, you know, give us a bit of about your background and your current role, that would be great.
0: Yeah, of course I would. Uh, by the way, thank you so much for having me here, Ben. Um, my my Background started as you know, as you identified, about a decade and a half ago, as a security engineer, actually as a network engineer in Kansas City, um, and you know, just following my pa- my passion for cybersecurity, I started into consulting. Spent a lot of time working with different types of companies, but eventually decided that consulting was. Uh, was great. It made me, you know, get access and uh, exposure to a lot of different things. So I learned a lot and very, very quickly. Uh, but then at some point it felt like I was doing all of these things, but not able to, you know, take ownership of anything end to end. So that was the time I decided to quit consulting, take a corporate job. And I joined a company called Medallia as one of the, the, the first security uh, leader. To uh, And I was brought on board to build and scale the security function. So um, I eventually, you know, built a team, scaled different functions, including AppSec, security operations, uh, SOC team, compliance, all of those things. Uh, Company went IPO in 2019. So it was a huge moment for us, you know, leading security as a company goes through an IPO. Um, Going through that gave uh, a lot of different experiences uh, as a security leader. And, and then eventually going through those experiences, learning from it, talking to other peers in the CISO community, um, I realized there are a few common problems that a lot of people are trying to solve, but they're not a good solution. So we decided to start a company to solve some of those, you know, AppSec, DevSecOps related challenges.
1: Okay. Thank you for that introduction. And I have to say, it's not uncommon for me to interview a uh, CISO turned founder, I've had a couple of these interviews in the last few months. I think the latest was probably a month ago, a month and a half ago, um, with another uh, cybersecurity professional that uh, based out of, I think, Dublin, of all places. Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you again for that uh, for that uh, quick introduction. Uh, looking forward to our discussion today. Before we go in, and you know do a deep dive into specific question around your, about your journey as a, as a previous CISO. Uh, I always like to start with a couple of icebreaker questions. If you could share your marital status and favorite drink?
0: Oh, uh, I am married um, and my favorite drink, my spouse has been telling me like I've been uh, drinking too much of my favorite drink. <laughs> um my my go-to drink when I just you know I don't want to think too much about it is uh I just do bourbon typically Kentucky bourbon is my yeah. uh, go-to
1: okay yeah it's uh I think it's an excellent and cost-efficient choice especially here in the U.S. I mean bourbons have so much less than uh, single malt, malt whiskeys. so uh definitely an acquired taste that uh, I've acquired yeah <laughs>
0: And, and no pretentiousness about, uh, you, know, you know, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> no
1: pretentiousness, but I mean, it's good. I enjoy it. It's different. It's different than great. a single mold but uh, yeah, still enjoyable. Um Okay. Let's dive right in. And again, the, the the intent of this podcast is to learn more about you and your journey, uh, you know, from the moment you started your career till the moment you came as you became a CISO and, and even after that, obviously you're a founder now. Um so if there's any commonalities between you know being a CISO and being a founder please share those but you know let me start off by asking you if there's one thing you wish you'd known before you began your
0: career what would that be Ooh um the one thing if I had known uh, I would have done maybe a little bit things differently is um, how important uh communication is in our space of cybersecurity uh, I was trained uh, as an engineer. I grew up in a well, not grew up. I went to college with a technical degree, um, and at that time, you know, during early parts of my career, everything was about technology. You got to know the technology. You got to be really good at it, um, and that was my sole focus. Not realizing how important is is communication, working with other people, influencing other people, especially being in cybersecurity, where it's all about. Making other people do things in in the common interest of cybersecurity risk and compliance, right? So I think that's an important thing that uh, most people don't realize when they start their career.
1: Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I'm tend, I tend to agree with you, and I've gotten a similar response uh, too often, to be honest. You know some people call it uh you know work on your soft skills uh that like I wish I'd known that I needed more soft skills when I you know embarked on this journey and and whatnot but uh uh yeah, definitely i mean when you talk about communication, obviously you're talking about relationships with individuals with people with colleagues, peers, subordinates and managers, obviously right um yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, and, and and fundamentally, that was one of the reasons why, uh, like, in, in my career, I started off as a technical consulting, a technical engineer, but realized that this is a challenge that, uh, not a challenge, but this is a skill I need to get really better at. So, intentionally, I joined a big four advisory firm, one of the big consulting companies, because if they're good at anything, it's, 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 it's all about communication, right, the building out uh, you know, strategies and all that stuff is good, but how to effectively manage clients and how to effectively communicate with leadership. That's one thing that they train you really, really well. So I think it was a pivotal moment in my career to go through that experience and just learn how to do all of that stuff. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Uh, what would you say your biggest failure was and what did you learn from it?
0: You know, um, my biggest failure from a, from a professional standpoint was uh, um, early on as, um, as a people leader uh, several years ago, I didn't realize how important it is to keep a close eye, close pulse on, um, on, on your team. So especially when you add, start adding multiple layers, when you're a manager of you know, a few people and everybody just reports to you directly, it's easy. But as you go higher up in the chain, you start to get removed from what's actually happening on the ground when there are other managers and directors between you and the other engineers or other uh, individual contributors and things might, um, might get interesting if you're not very close to the ground. So um, just as a part of, uh, you know, growing through that, learning new leadership skills, uh, I wasn't very careful about that. And ended up keeping a few bad hires for way too long that I shouldn't have. And that eventually ended up affecting a large majority of the team. Um, And before I know, we had a disaster on hand uh, in terms of the team perspective, and I think not a technology or cybersecurity perspective. So um, the importance of um, how to manage multi-level, multi-tier team, larger teams, um, uh, and just going through that experience, that was uh, one of the big learnings on how to actually do it being um, a senior leader with multiple management uh, layers within your org is very different than being a direct manager of you know a few individuals
1: yeah and you know talking about your current role as a ceo and founder of a startup company i'm assuming you can you know you find some some commonalities to to those previous experiences as a manager as a as an executive managing, uh, as you mentioned, the multi-tiered right. environment, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, I think uh, as people grow in their career, they learn how to not just manage down, but also manage up, manage horizontally, right? So all of that stuff becomes very, very important when you're uh, when you're a leader, or, or in my role as a founder, where it's not just uh, you know the employees and the people in our company that we have to make sure we're all working as a team, but also manage the customers, manage our investors, manage our prospects, right? So all of that stuff. And I don't mean manage in a, in a negative sense, but it's more about just, you know, how to effectively work with all of them uh, together. Those those are sort of the uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the leadership and uh, uh, management skills that you pick up over a period of time.
1: Got it. But let, let's, you know, let's uh, try to unpack this just a bit more if, if that's okay. So yeah. obviously I, I understand what you're talking about, you know, being a founder myself, And being a few steps removed from what you call the ground, you know, is definitely challenging. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely, it will definitely present challenges to any, any leader, right? What, what's your tip in, you know, making sure that you're, that you're still able to manage it? And how do you manage it, basically?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it also changes at what scale you have to manage, right? I mean, if you're running an a world of hundreds of people, then there's, there's no easy way that you can intimately know every single person in your team. Right. So at that point, the more, the bigger focus just comes in on, do you really, really trust your leadership? Do you have the right processes set up to uncover the right type of feedback? Right. So for example, when you have, um, you know, uh, one-on-ones with your direct, who who have their own different teams, what type of questions do you ask? Uh, When you have performance reviews, the process of those performance reviews or one-on-one setup, how do you structure that process to uncover the right feedback uh, to the right people? Like all of those things become very important um, as compared to, you know, the the simplistic answer is you should just have one-on-ones with everyone. That's not really scalable. It works up to a certain extent, but it doesn't. Um, so, um, the right set of processes and systems to uncover the right feedback from the, from every level, I think it's very important to do that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Agreed. Uh, what's your biggest accomplishment
0: then? My biggest accomplishment. Uh, that's, um, I, I don't know. I think it's yet to come. (laughs) um i i yeah i can't really that's humble (laughs) yeah i mean there's still a a, uh you know i still have a long career in front of me so hopefully we'll we'll do bigger things going forward but i'm super proud of like every single milestone that we have had that i've had so far being able to found a company uh you know coming here as a, a first generation immigrant in this country and you know being able to establish myself as not just a really good professional, but also being able to found a company in Silicon Valley, people around the world, uh, dream of, uh, doing those things and just being able to do that. I think that's a, that's a huge accomplishment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, although on a personal note, you know, once you're here and you understand, uh, the vastness of it and you know the the sheer volume of like companies that you have here and competitors it's like you you suddenly realize that uh you're uh, i mean you have a long way to go right
0: oh yeah <laughs> there's, there's no matter how innovative or unique you think you are there's at least 15 other people yeah. in the <laughs> same sitting <laughs> around you in the
1: same starbucks or pete's right. coffee right? <laughs>
0: yeah
1: yeah well you're 100 <laughs> right Uh, yeah. I mean, if there's one thing that the the move to the Silicon Valley taught me is humility, (laughs) right? So many successful people here, you know, just so many people to look up to. Yeah. Um, and, And
0: especially this is true in the world of entrepreneurship and you know, this really well, um, the people who actually go down this route of founding companies, entrepreneurship, they are really smart within their own category. So now if you think about this, this, uh, this subset of people who are actually founding companies and being entrepreneurs, they already come from, you know, the, the smartest people, the most high achieving people. And now within that group of really smart, incredibly driven, motivated people to come out as, you know, one of the best of the best, like that is some yeah. achievement, right?
1: yeah and 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 even then i mean you if you make if whatever if your company makes whatever like 15 25 million you still have those founders sitting next to you that are making 100 and 200 and 300 million i mean they're companies right and then and those guys they have tesla to look up to and they have twitter and they have all these giants so yeah it's definitely humbling and a, a humbling experience uh but you know Having covered that, what advice would you give out to any, uh, you know, security professional out there wanting to pursue a career in cybersecurity and, and, and grow through the ranks and move up through the ranks?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the one advice I would have is this profession is incredibly difficult. It is it is difficult because a lot of things are not in your control, right? You, you can't control everything. If you're in, in a vast majority of other professions, things are largely under your control. You do things and you expect certain outcomes and those things happen. In the world of cybersecurity, that is actually not the case. So you have to be really brave. You have to be really driven and motivated. You have to be passionate about cybersecurity to be able to Establish yourself and grow yourself as a really good security professional. If you're lacking that, if you're not passionate about this, if you're not motivated towards spending the time and the hours and the energy, you're less likely to become successful. You'll have a job for sure. Uh, There's too many uh, vacant uh, openings in cybersecurity. But this is a hard field. It's stressful. It gets stressful. It's difficult. There's a lot of passionate people uh, in this who are also very smart. Um, so, uh, so I, I, think it's a combination of the smarts and passion and motivation that will make you successful in this field. Thank
1: you. And again, drawing a parallel line between, you know, being a CISO and being a founder as a founder, you, you know, you find out uh, more often than not that not everything is, I mean, you have a lot of things that are out of your control, you know, stemming from whatever, like. Uh, delivery dates get pushed back or you know um, staffing or any other issues that you encounter as founder so I would I would uh, just want to suggest here that there are many many similarities between the the two roles unless you think otherwise
0: no no 100% I agree I 100% agree
1: You know, going back to your uh, time as a CISO, what what do you feel about uh, you know the position of a CISO that's actually part of the IT organization?
0: Um, I think it's um, it's uh, the the way I see that is it's been changing over the past decade. I would say earlier, what we had was even though the title was CISO, but it was not really a C-level position in the true sense, right? It was not at the same level as, you know, other CXOs. Um, What we, what at least I've been noticing is over the past decade or so, there's been a much bigger recognition of the CISO as a senior executive. And now you have uh, more frequently have CISOs reporting directly to the CEOs directly to Um, general counsels or COOs or other types of functions and not just under a CIO or a CTO. Mm -hmm. I think um, that will become more and more popular, not just because there's broader awareness about the importance um, and the seniority of this role, but also this newer generation of CISOs that we have today, they actually can operate at a very senior executive level. We're coming through this you know, a new generation of people um, who truly are C-level executives uh, and security professionals. So um, um, I think, yeah, oh, by the way, a, a few other anecdotal examples that I've seen over the past few years is earlier, um, maybe 10, 15 years ago, there would be CIOs who would do security as a part-time thing, right? so they would, their title would be CIO, but they would also manage security a lot of times what we are seeing now is there are although this is true in smaller companies but they would have CISOs who would also do uh you know cio type of role as a side job uh, as as a part of their responsibilities so they get hired as a cso but they also have a cio related responsibilities um so it's interesting to see that flip of cso taking a more uh, more, you know, a higher priority over being a CIO, and this is more in, you know, cloud natives, smaller companies. But this trend is only going to um, increase.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. I see the the shift and the transition in the market as well going on for you know a decade at least. Although there are still, you know, in some organizations, um, maybe not predominantly in the US, but in some organizations. The CISO role is still in some cases under uh, the IT organization. And obviously that could, yeah. um, you know, cr- create all kinds of conflicts of interest and, you right. know, uh, priorities might clash and collide and, and whatnot. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I, mean, I, I, th- I think there's no single um, blanket answer to this because a lot of times this will depend on the personality of the CIO or the CTO that the CISO is reporting to. So a lot of times those CIOs are actually good, well-intentioned people who want to bring the right CISO and do the right thing. But a lot of times they just get a, t- a titular head just to check the box that, yes, I have somebody doing something in security. And then they suppress a lot of the, you know, the, the information and they don't let it surface. Uh, and that's obviously a failure scenario. You don't want that to happen. Um, But it's so individual, Uh, it's dependent on person to person, what the CIO or CTO's intentions and motivations are.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Uh, At the end of the day, I mean, if you have good chemistry with uh, the CIO and you report to him, you know, or to her, I mean, you would have, uh, you know, you would be able to push through the security initiatives that you need to um now what what do you what do you say what do you feel about uh like what helped you along the way to become you know the security professional that you are what kind of resources are we talking what like uh professional literature we're we talking about uh you know academic courses um, self-learning like whatever it is
0: yeah so i'll tell you i've tried all of that i've at some point i used to have at least 15 different certifications, you know, appended after my name in my signature. (laughs) Um, It was, it was ridiculous at that time. Right. Um, I've got, uh, you know, I've read so many books around, but obviously everything has its own place and time. When I was younger reading technical literature, um, just having my own lab. um, I couldn't afford a garage, but having my own lab in, in my own setup, like that was a lot of uh, uh, super helpful early on, but If I look back, some of the most impactful things were really just talking to peers. I think one of the best things about our industry and security is that it's a very tight-knit community. We all talk to each other. We collaborate each other, especially nowadays with all of these Slack channels that people are a part of. There's so many active discussions and learning from other people's uh, failures, learning from other people's successes. I think that's the fastest way that i've grown as a as a professional in this world of cybersecurity um and i i really have to thank a lot of the the open transparent communication whether it's at conferences whether it's in slack channels or whether it's just you know meeting local uh security professionals at different events i think those are the things that have um helped me tremendously so just developing that skill on how to you know be open transparent and be uh, be willing to network with others I think that's an incredible um, learning skill to have in this profession. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Thank you. Uh, Is there one common myth about uh, cybersecurity profession that you wanted to debunk?
0: Common myth about cybersecurity profession? Uh, There's so many. (laughs) Um, Let's see. I, I don't know like uh, um, what's coming to mind. Common myth about cybersecurity is um, a lot of times security people tend to think that everything that they um, uh, they ask other people to do within their own organization um, that they're always right. A lot of times, especially when think about you know junior security professionals. Um, who are doing a lot of uh, assessments and pen testing, a lot of that stuff. This that, that needs to change in our industry in terms of, you know, my way or the highway, or, you know, here's 50,000 things that you have to go and do. Um, I think we need to introduce more of risk-based uh, approach of balancing the business and security risk. I don't know if that's necessarily a myth, but within the industry, I think as practitioners, we need to get a little bit better at balancing technology and business, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and I think I think this is also, you know, an evolving trend. I think more and more high levels, uh, like, like highly positioned security professionals understand that the business comes first and whatever it is that uh, they need to do should be aligned with the business and not the other way around. Um, yeah. Like, you know, being an enabler of the business, basically. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, and I know right now you've been with the, with your startup company. So, so how long has it been that, uh, since you founded
0: it? Uh, 15 months, one, five, f-
1: f- 15 months. Okay. So, you know, in your opinion, and I'm sure you're, you work still with CISOs, obviously as a vendor right now, uh, in your opinion, what are the main concerns that CISOs
0: nowadays have? you know um i the thing that has been changing is that the things we do as cisos that's getting a lot more attention so now the boards are paying attention to it ceos are actively getting involved in it whether it is for actual you know good risk management or whether it's to just avoid headlines whatever it is but it's driving a lot of this um so i think uh one of the things that uh, you know going back to our earlier conversation just uh, balancing business with uh, with the technical security i think that's one of the things that that's getting more and more relevant to almost every single CISO nowadays. So it's less about here's a laundry list of all the risks that we have identified and let's do something about it versus okay, how do I enable the business uh, in in whatever we are doing to do it in a more more agile, faster, at lower cost, at uh, at better risk managed in a better risk managed way. I think that business enablement is coming into the picture. And just to give you an anecdotal example, in my previous role. Um, we spent, I spent a lot of time, I would say about 25% of time interacting with our customers um, and uh, unblocking deals because our customers uh, in my previous role as a head of security, our customers were looking at us to keep their data safe. So I was very closely working with sales enablement teams and uh, you know, sales engineers to make sure that we are enabling business as a security company, uh, as a security uh, uh, team within the larger company hmm
1: Okay, yeah. And and that's definitely, you know, one of the, the responsibilities of a CISO in many organizations, unless you're like a very big organization where you have a specific individual right. that deal with, you know, uh, potential customers uh from the security team. Uh but so in, in your opinion, like what should CISOs nowadays should be focused on in terms of like uh, like whatever it is, new technologies, new threats, vectors, uh whatever. In your opinion, what are the areas that CISOs should be mostly focused nowadays on?
0: Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I mean I think the the challenge that most CISOs face is that the business is is um is changing very rapidly. The way business is done is changing very, rap- very rapidly. So almost every single organization wants to do things faster at a cheaper cost uh, with globalization thrown into the mix. So as a central security team, how do you keep up with that right like if you're a retail company, you want to do more e-commerce if you're a financial services company, you want to do more technology if you're a tech company, you want to do more global uh you know distribution of your product so the all of these business enablers are pushing every single organ every single team within a company to do things faster um, how do you as a security person keep up with that uh, whether it's you know, hiring more people or being more agile into uh, training your workforce to be better, modernizing your workforce, modernizing your tooling, um, or bringing in a lot lot more automation. So it's keeping up with the business. I think it's very important. If you don't focus on it, you're going to get left behind and, you know, and and something will eventually happen. Security will um, end up failing to respond to it. But I think modernizing the business in a way to keep up with the pace of the rest of the organization. I think that's an important, uh, high level theme, obviously translates into a bunch of different things like, you know, workforce uh, enhancements, skills enhancements and automations and new set of tooling and whatever that is. Um, but, but yeah, that's, uh, in my opinion, that's the uh, overall broader theme that's changing CISOs work life.
1: Okay. And a follow-up question to that, and you might have alluded to the answer here, but uh, in your opinion, what what are the most important skills that CISO now should have? I know you've spoken about, the, you know, the soft skills and the business side of it, but do you want to expand it at all?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would, I would basically just double down on it, right? So because things are changing so rapidly every five years, you know, I mean, technology has been changing and that's okay, but we've been so far focused very much on cybersecurity technology, you know, the shiny new product that comes in the shiny new vendor that talks about things in a nice way and has this fancy collateral. Um, but the reality is CISOs need to be more aware of how the business operates, how the, how the technology landscape overall is changing and what do they need to uh, secure? Um, so I think it's, it's pretty much around the skills of, you know, being able to, um, learn and understand the trends of the business and the technology while being able to collaborate with others in the company. How do you actually enable engineering? How do you enable sales? How do you enable legal? How do you enable compliance people? Uh, Because all of their worlds are also moving at different paces in different directions. Uh, So you really have to be a multifaceted person um, who can understand things very quickly, be able to collaborate with others. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think you also answered my next question, which was where is the CSER role going? So, if I understand correctly, yeah, I mean, it's more business oriented, as you mentioned, enablement of uh, whatever key stakeholder um, individual that you have in the organization to support them. Yeah. Is yeah. that 100%. Basically-
0: I mean, I think it's stepping outside of just the technical security realm to. To a broader scope of business enablement, right? I mean, I see that as sort of the uh, the next level of maturity of the cybersecurity function itself, which is not just focused on technology, but focused on technology plus the business as well. So I think that's that's exactly where the CISO role is going, which means you have to uh, understand what other uh, business units are demanding or expecting out of the security organization. And uh, and having those initiatives to to fulfill those expectations of what legal might be expecting out of you, what sales might be expecting out of you, what product management team might be expecting out of you.
1: Mm-hmm. Got it. And you know, in terms of uh, the industry, like in your opinion, what will we see in the in the cybersecurity world next?
0: That's a good question. I mean, I think I'm, I, I don't have a crystal um, ball, but what the trend that I'm seeing now is because of this broader attention to cybersecurity, there's a lot of non-security related um, companies. In just I'm just speaking in, in the sense of, uh, uh, in the context of technology. So we're seeing a lot of traditionally non-security companies start doing security things Um, And just to give you an example from my world, um, companies like GitHub and GitLab and, uh, you know, JFrog or even, you know, Amazon, like everyone knows that. Those are not primarily security companies, but all of those companies now have security offerings and security capabilities that just get built into their core platform. So that is like a really strong indication that, other non-security players are recognizing that security is, is important. It's lucrative for them to be selling security, which is great, right? Because all we've been talking about adoption of security by other folks within the broader ecosystem, broader, uh, the broader organization. Now that we are seeing those things, it's a great thing for, uh, for us as an industry because now you know dev tools or cloud platforms and all of them, Come with security capabilities. So now it's less friction. It's more native. Um, so I think that's the change that we are going to see, uh, in my opinion, where security is more native to broader parts of the ecosystem.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I tend to agree with you on that. So whatever it could be integrated into the products, uh, SaaS offering, uh, or into the marketplaces, we're definitely seeing that already. And you know, it will just. Uh, keep increasing um now in terms of in your opinion in terms of uh, budget planning if you compare like uh, two years ago to today like pre-pandemic and post-pandemic what's your opinion around like has budget changed at all and and if so in what sense
0: yeah so i have i may not have the most strongest data here but It is the trend that I've seen is, again, you know, our security, security function in general is very reactive, right? So we tend to react to things that other people do. What has happened is during the pandemic, uh, a lot of the initiatives had been started around remote workforce, workforce, uh, remote access and globalization of uh, teams. All of those things have security implications. So... I've definitely seen budget shift around to security of those initiatives. Uh, so, security related, security initiatives related to remote work, related to you know, BYOD and you know, zero trust, and a lot of those things become important, driven by the broader change that people now want to work from anywhere they want to. Uh, you, don't, you don't need to come into the office every single day. So, I've seen that shift in security budget to enable those initiatives. Um, but other than that, like, you know, the, the big macro trend, uh, that was expedited by COVID is just this cloud transformation, right? And we are still at the beginning of things that are moving to cloud, right? It's just scratching the surface. There's, there's just so much, uh, technology still not in the cloud. So even the next five years, 10 years, we're going to continue seeing bigger and bigger cloud transformation initiatives. And security will continue to shift more and more dollars towards that.
1: Got it. Okay, great. Uh, Let's, you know, we're almost at the tail end of this episode today. Let me just ask you a couple of questions about vendors. And, you know, being a CISO and now being a vendor yourself, it's definitely interesting to get your thoughts on a couple of topics here. Like, you know, when you were a CISO and what did you dislike about, like, what types of vendors did you dislike? What type of behavior that vendors exhibited did you not really like?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, a couple of things, are just absolute no-nos and everyone just despises them. Um, You know, if you're selling your security product based on FUD, like, that's just not cool. Everyone knows it, right? Like, this is, you can't uh, sell fear. It doesn't work. A lot of people still do, uh, especially salespeople who don't know how to operate in security. They assume that everyone gets scared of these scary numbers and people just take meetings. That doesn't happen. Um, but uh, selling on FUD is just not cool. Um, I think also, you know, what, what we've come to call is ambulance chasing. That's not not okay as well. Like somebody gets compromised, unfortunately, if they are in news um, and people try to sell their products because uh, at somebody else's expense, that's also not a good idea. I mean, a lot of people do that. Um, I mean, obviously you have to frame it in the right way. If you're framing that, Hey, look, you know, this happened, we can help prevent these things in this way. uh, You know, frame it positive, positive intentions. It's great if it works that way, but a lot of times people try to sell their or push their product, at the expense of somebody else um uh, it, it's uh, those are all you know practices that vendors should avoid
1: got it and as a, as a previous CISO what was it that you were looking for in a vendor
0: yeah somebody who would understand my business my uh my pain points right and I, I don't expect everyone to um to know without asking, but at least an intention to understand what we are trying to do. And if you don't have a play in what I'm trying to do, then, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's shake hands and uh, maybe uh, meet at a later point. But the things that I appreciate is just transparency. And, uh, and look, we're all, uh, we're all mature professionals. We understand it's business. I'm not here to be, you know, somebody's, you know, best friend right like so don't try to be my best friend like let's just help each other be better versions of our own professional selves um and uh um, and be transparent and honest i think those are the things that i i really like in working with others
1: mm-hmm. okay got it um what other people do you look up to in the industry uh like do you want to name a few people that have been uh, influential to you
0: you know, um, I, I, when I think about this, I think it's it's a lot of different people in, uh, in different parts of my life because um, I, I really respect some people for their leadership skills. I really respect some people for, you know, being able to balance uh, very, very stressful work and personal life. I respect some other people for just the way they lead their teams and the way they can motivate their teams. So I think it's a lot of different people. Um, I don't know if I can name... Um, few at the moment though
1: got it okay no worries uh what's the best way to connect with you online
0: oh but the best way is linkedin my uh i've got i, I can uh, claim my fame to a really good linkedin handle so it's linkedin.com slash in slash Herschel my first name uh it's very easy to get to linkedin messages that's so great
1: <laughs> wow so that means you were one of one of the first Overling. <laughs> got it uh okay thank you and um one final question if money was never an issue what would you do with your life
0: oh man i would start a food truck <laughs> what kind of food truck I don't know. Street food. I would probably have a rotating menu for uh, for every month. I would do different cuisines, uh, but street food, food truck in the Bay Area, most likely San Francisco in in a safer part of San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good luck with finding that. But uh, <laughs> let's go back to cuisine. I mean,
1: like, like anything, Mexican, Indian, Italian, ev- everything goes?
0: I do appreciate, um, a lot of, um, um I, I really like Mexican food, especially street food. Mexico is amazing. Street food from Asia is really, really good. So I really love that. The best. As well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, those are two of my, two of my favorite, uh, categories.
1: Well, let me know, uh, you know, I, I actually looked into the numbers at one point in my life of what it means to open up a food truck, like what would it cost you and how much would you be able to make just running a sole full truck? It's hard work, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy street food as well. And as you mentioned, like the street food in Asia was probably the best I've had. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Southeast hey. Asia.
0: Right. Hey, yeah. You mentioned money is not an issue, so I'm not looking at the profit of the food truck. It. <laughs> yeah.
1: Did Did you watch that movie, uh, Chef?
0: Yep, a couple of yeah. times actually. Yeah. Make so... uh, make a few things at home that they make in the movie. So. You know. Yeah, I,
1: I'm my my kids adore the grilled cheese sandwich that I make them, and obviously it's based on that movie, so uh, yeah, yeah, it's like That's loaded. Awesome. It's... Yeah.
0: It's um, it's deceptively hard <laughs> to get a grilled sandwich uh, yeah, grilled cheese, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's it is. Easy.
1: Yeah. It is, it is. But, you know, I think I've mastered it by now. But anyway, uh, thank you again, Harshil, for, you know, taking the time and joining me today in our discussion. Uh, it was insightful and uh, I'm hoping anyone can take away at least one, uh, one, one key value out of our discussion today and uh, implement it in their well, professional career. Success. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for having me
1: here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. All right.